Welcome to the Recruitment Marketing Rebelcast. My name is Alyn Bailey, and along with my co-host, Tracy Parsons, we're here to talk all things recruitment marketing. We want to have an honest and open conversation about what it's going to take to innovate in talent acquisition. If you're interested and want to join the dialogue, sit down, buckle up, pour yourself a cocktail, and let's chat. Hello. Good morning, Miss Tracy. I guess it's afternoon, isn't it? How are you? It's so afternoon. It's, it's so all kinds afternoon. of afternoon. It's all the afternoon. It's all the afternoon. Well, you've got your, you had snow. You're like all, you're all, I'm imagining that you're, uh, when you, because you had snow, I'm now imagining that you're in this nice log cabin and you're wrapped up in a blanket and you have some hot chocolate. You're by a fireplace Maybe there's a cat sitting on the cushion next to you or a puppy dog. That's what it looks like, right? Snow outside the window. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. If, if that were an M.C. Escher painting. Yeah. <laughs> not quite there. So it's not, it's, uh, not, it's not a log cabin. It's a brick house with no insulation. So, yes, there's a blanket involved. Job of the cat is missing in action. And um, Piper is licking the wounds of coloring my upstairs carpet with green makeup. Ooh, yuck. That's a mess. How do you get green makeup out of the carpet? Well, no. according to, according to the internet, because it was a grease-based paint of makeup, because it was green face paint for an alien businessman, I, had to, I, I have a pile of Dawn uh, dishwashing detergent also not a sponsor of the Rebelcast. Um, and I've been working with it. And when I say it's lit- it's literally all the way down the hallway in the upstairs. So it's, it's going to be a good effort. It's going to be a good period of time. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. I can't even, I just, I can't even imagine. We had a, um, uh, a few, gosh, it's been a, a few months ago. We had a, so we rent and in our house and we had a, a leak in the guest bathroom. Oh. Just like a pipe leak or whatever. Um, but it it like created this stain between the carpet and the and the guest bathroom area. Now I've gotten to the point in my life where I there's only so much I'm willing to do. I, I, I just because I'm just I'm I'm only willing to invest so much in, in my surroundings. And so and like, effort. Okay, let's just fix and, yeah. and effort, right? Yes. We got it fixed and it's fine. And I got it clean, but you can still kind of see the stain there. And it's, and it's, it's ugly. I will get that it's ugly, but I have now worked past it in my head and I don't see it anymore. So my husband was talking about the fact that my in-laws may come to visit. And his first comment was, what are we going to do about the stain by the guest bathroom? <laughs> and my immediate response was buy a rug, Right. Yeah. I think you just put a rug over the top of it and all problems are solved. It's not my house. I immediately thought of, I don't care. I immediately thought of decorate over it. Right. Then you decorate, and he looks at me and it's like, no, we can't do that. I'm thinking, why not? Who's do you, do you really think somebody's going to go and lift underneath it and go, hmm, they must've put this here for a reason. And even if they do, oh at, God, no. everybody get over that. Exactly. It's clean. It just looks ugly. It's just not pretty. Nothing I can do about that. That's right. And it's not mine. So anyway, that's right. Right. That's immediately what what I thought of when you mentioned the green. Because I'm thinking, because if I ended up with green grease paint all over the carpet, 
that would probably just be the end for, I feel like, forget it. We're moving. I'm done. We've got to move. I, <laughs> we got to move. I can't, it's not even functioning. It's good. But I think this might be the first lesson for today's topic. And so if you want to introduce the topic, I have one yes. of, I have one of the lessons. I will. Okay. Here we go. Today's topic how to do recruitment marketing on the cheap. Okay, so what's the lesson? How do we connect this to, to okay, my housekeeper so with the vacuum? We plan? all have, as working humans, a lot of what I call spinning plates, right? And we're all frantically spinning all the plates, whether it's work plates or home plates or special project plates. We've all got these plates spinning. And at a certain point, you have to evaluate what plates you're spinning, which does take a hot minute. But then at some point, you're like, I am not going to spin that plate anymore. And somebody can spin that plate. Somebody else can just go spin that plate if it's really important to them. But if it's not, that plate's going to fall on the floor and break. And nobody's going to care if nobody cares enough to go spin that damn plate. So when you're looking at what you can do, you know, look at all the yeah. things that you're doing in recruitment marketing and figure out what plate you don't want to spin anymore. What's not working? And then just if somebody wants to pick it up, great. But if they don't, let it fall to the ground. I, you know, you're absolutely right. I think sometimes we get this um, this idea, particularly, I think, in the recruitment marketing space where, honestly, I run across people every day who spend a lot of time um, going out and trying to find what the new thing is and listening to podcasts like this one and others or, or reading blogs or going out there. And so they end up with this list of stuff yeah. that they think they have to do. Right. And they start and they and they get their little fingers and they try this piece and that piece over there and this piece. And before you know it, it's one, overwhelming, two, becomes completely mm -hmm. costly. Right. And three, they have no real idea which of those things are actually beneficial and helping them and which ones aren't. They're just doing them because they think they're supposed to. So right? examine your high value plates. Yeah. Look at look at them and figure out what's what's really creating value for you. How do they do that? I mean, so people's like, great. Okay. I, I mean, where do you even start? I've got, I've got this mess of tangled um, uh, solutions that are out there. I'm spending money left and right on everything from programmatic advertising to copy editors to, um, you know, a recruitment marketing um, platform and a CMS and a CRM and, how do I figure out? Well, what's no, working for me, it's working you got to talk to the people. <laughs> I just, I mean, isn't that bizarre? Like, why would you ever want to talk to hiring managers and new hires? And why would you ever want to do that? I know, but it's really cheap uh, to have a conversation with people and find out what worked for them and what didn't work for them. I mean, today I was interviewing a uh, silver medalist for one of my customers and they told me exactly where they went to and what information they collected and where they did their research and what, what they saw on what job site and what made them convert. It was a simple conversation. You know, I think this is a really, yeah, I think this is a really good point because that's the other thing that happened to us, right? Listen, I am, I'm a, I'm a data centric person. I, or a, a bit of one, and I work for a data centric company. Um, and I understand the desire yeah. for analytics, right? And um, data that is, um, you know, that we can dig down to the every little nuance and half percent point and 
all of those elements. And that's all really cool and valuable, but you're absolutely right. You know, before we had the ability to track source codes or um, even when we had systems, when our codes weren't connected to each other, and we weren't sure if the data was valid or accurate. The one thing you can always rely on is a very easy place to start is going and talking to people. Talk to candidates, talk to people you've just hired, talk to um, your hiring managers, um, talk to um, your recruiters who are listening and talking to people who have been sourced and ask them where they came from. That simple action of just talking, listening, and using using anecdotal information to start to give you a sense for what's working. Yeah, it's not perfect, but it definitely gives you a sense and enough of a of an idea. If you hear nothing about um, the great $100,000 ad campaign that you ran um, on LinkedIn, um, then it's probably giving you a hint that it didn't resonate with people. So, you know, you can go ahead and stop yeah, that and next I mean, of month course and maybe a source of spend influence. that money on something else. Um, and people, you know, people see these, people see ads all the time and they don't Absolutely. realize they're seeing ads and those are, those are perfectly useful. But if we're not having conversations with people, we're really not understanding their mindset and what they're looking for and, and how to God they make decisions. Um, and I'm not by any means advocating at all, zero, that you put a checkbox on your career site or in your application that said, where do you hear from us? Um, because that, that doesn't work. In fact, I actually did a test on oh. that specific thing, uh, for a customer, I want to say about 10 years ago. And we, we put the first slot on the choice to be something ridiculous. Like it's there, there were, they weren't advertising there at all. There was no possible way that that would be a source. And after that month test, that was the number one source right. of applicant. Because it was the first checkbox. So just don't don't box. give them that choice. But yeah. if you talk to them, they're going to tell you all the different places that they hit. Well, that's the, that's the plus of actually talking to people and, try, then, and using that as a, as a methodology for starting to understand what's going on. Because when you talk to people, you can either mm -hmm. more likely to talk about their experience um, and their experience and where they connected with you. And it's more likely to give you a sense of the variety of platforms and the path that they took to get to you. When you ask somebody a very close-ended question, like, how did you find us today? Or what was the last thing that you clicked on? Yeah. You're most likely going to get kind of those standard source of hire metrics, which guess what? I'm going to tell you what your source of hire is going to tell you. Drum roll. For all those people who think I can I can read your minds and know what's going on in your organization, I bet your biggest source of hire is your career site. Yes, followed closely by Indeed. Right. Guess why? That is absolutely the, the place where most people click exactly. on your last because that's where you drive your applications from. They had to get there. You sent people to them. Um, and so, of course, they show up as a source of higher data. But if you actually talk to people, get anecdotal information, do some of the ethnographic work to, to understand what drives their decision making, you'll find the undercover underneath elements around how people got to you until we get to a state where we actually have good attribution data, which I still, I have to tell you, I've been um, playing around in this space for a while. And I think that's very difficult to come up with. It's really hard to set up your, um, your source tracking and to be able to really get reliable um, marketing attribution data in recruitment marketing today. But if you 
But if you go and talk to people and you listen to what they say, if you ask the right questions, if you um, ask follow-up questions, ask them why, what made you go here? What were you thinking about? Um, mm-hmm. You you know, why do you hang out in this location? Where were you? What brought you to my event today, right? There's lots of ways in which you can um, get this sort of data and it can really inform your thoughts and your choices. And so you're right. First step in, in recruitment marketing, if not on the cheap, definitely um, smartly on the on the cost effective way is to ask some people really um, where they're finding you and, and be able to think differently about yeah. where you put your market spend and, and your dollars. You know, it'll be surprising for most people. I bet most people wouldn't believe I work for a large um, multinational company. And I bet most people wouldn't believe that for the most part, we have a very little recruitment marketing budget. It wouldn't surprise me because you have a good name draw. Like there's a big name draw with your company. So people are, you know, I say this to lots of people. Nobody wakes up in the morning wondering, you know, what company's hiring for them. But you're you're one of those companies that the right audience is going to think of you early. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that. And I think and I also think, honestly, our our investment um, is is placed in very specific locations, yeah, right? Exactly. Be where the audience is. So we have a right, we have a we have a strong event, we have a strong event strategy. Um uh, we um you know we do leverage some um media buy, but not very much, not as much as most people would anticipate. I mean a shocker that shocks, you know, we're not me. using programmatic advertising, for example. Um it, it's right, well it should. We're we're getting there. But I for the most part, um, we do a lot of homegrown um, marketing um, right. directly from our local recruitment marketing teams, right? Who are both building content and distributing it in very much the same ways that um, uh, other mid and small com- small base companies are doing as well, exactly. right? Exactly. Using their LinkedIn accounts, their Twitter accounts, their Facebook accounts, and leveraging employee-driven yeah. or... Um, team built content. Um, it's not fancy. It's not highly. Um, it's not highly uh, copywritten, right? We have a set of core standards. So I think what allows us to be able to do that. I think what would allow any company to do that is we have a core set of brand standards. We have um, a defined brand identity, and everybody understands what it is and how to leverage it. Um, and uh, we have where we need them, uh, some some reusable templates and, and core stock photography and, and art that can be leveraged, some, some taglines and stuff that provide consistency across the brand. Um, and then the autonomy for teams to be able to leverage those things um, in a very ad hoc way and apply localized content to it. And I think that's what allows us to do a lot of the marketing that we do at a very reasonable cost. Well, and you're hitting on one of my biggest hacks for people is that, you know, most companies that have employees have an instantaneous media channel because all of those employees are on LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook. They're already on a media channel that touches hundreds of people in their network, in some cases, thousands. So if you want to start distributing content, and I know that everybody talks about content being king, and it is to a certain degree. 
but distribution is queen. And if you have great content, you have no capacity to distribute it widely, you're going to lose. So the, you know, one of the quickest hacks I've always told people is that use the people within your four walls as an organization to distribute your content. It's your best new media channel that's free because let's be honest, Alin, people believe people well before they're going to believe a brand. And if I'm telling you as Tracy Parsons that I really support this organization or I love what I do or I'm really excited to work here, that means something to people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, I, I think that's the frame of, uh, of reference or thinking that um, can allow people to start to understand that it's not just having great marketing and a, a, and a, and a really good ad spend um, to allow you to put the glossy um, the banners out there and, and different ads in, in the right locations. Those things are nice. And, and of course, they give some eyeballs to your brand name and perhaps your brand messaging, but it's not the thing that drives um, the, the emotion, right? Which will drive the decision-making at the end of the day for the people that you're going after. What drives emotion is connection and connection is through people, people that they know, that they respect, that they like. Um, that's what's going to get yeah. um, the traction, right? Um, and having real messaging, real stories, um, real content. And honestly, if you can activate your employee population, that's probably one of the cheapest and most effective mechanisms that you can have out there. So when I was running um, employer brand for Smashfly, our number, we did, we did this exact thing. We did social amplification and we put content in the hands of our employees. At the beginning, we just did it through email. We emailed everybody in the company. I know that's shuddering for many people, but it wasn't that big of a company. And we said, here, tweet this or put this on your LinkedIn. And it became our number one source of applicant within six months. Yep. Yep. And it wasn't, the content wasn't, and the, the least driver of applicants was we're hiring for this job. The biggest driver of applicants and clicks were about the culture by far. And then telling people how to be a better candidate. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, it's not that it's not that far of a stretch. I mean, we do mm -hmm. a very similar thing, but we do it with our um, we may not send it out to the whole company, but we do it to our talent team. Right. Yep. Um, to our recruitment marketing teams, to our sourcers, to our recruiters, to our partners in HR, to the business groups that we're working with. Um, uh, the biggest, the, one of the biggest mechanisms for distributing yeah. the most valuable content for us um, is as simple as sending communications to our teams and telling them to repost, right? Um, and asking them to participate in the distribution process. Um, and we see the same things. That gets the biggest... Um, uh, the biggest amount of mind share and distribution. It does. It does. And boy, that's not very expensive. No, it's not at all. What about, what about all those people who say, who, who um, uh, are concerned about the quality of content um, that's being developed and built out there? What's your, what's your best recommendation for how to ensure that what's delivered out there is not only, effective, but also meets uh, a standard or a set of quality can, you know, uh, standards for an organization. How do you do that on, on a budget? Well, you have a guide, you train people on the guide, and then you trust your people to be adults. I mean, you hired them for a reason, for God's sakes, <laughs> right? They work for you. You pay um, them money, 
but we don't want to treat them like adults. So we were like, just keep them off social media or keep them off this channel or they don't, they don't produce the right kind of content. No, give them some guardrails, give them some standards, keep it simple, right? Don't make it complex. Give them simple guidelines and let them be grownups. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Yeah, Tracy, I was sitting here trying to be so like, I'm going to ask this very professional question. Everybody's going to want to know I'm going to be like a great interview. And you're, you said exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, what it comes down to, it's a stupid, in essence, it's a stupid question. The, the quality, as long yes. as you have a group of people who you trusted and that you intended to hire because you think they're yes. capable of their jobs, just let them go do their business. Right. Um, because at the end of the day, they're real. And, and isn't that what, what we're trying to get out there is real messaging from real people about a real company. Uh, just a little, uh, right. Cause you want it to be believable. Oh, if we, if you want it to not be believable, give them five pages of guidelines and governance and make sure everything goes through legal and compliance. Oh yeah, goodness. definitely do that. Oh and it won't sound very good, but it'll be very on brand and approved and whatever. I, I am not, uh, I do not espouse that. I was having coffee with a, a friend this morning and we were talking about, um, the challenges of creating corporate cultures when you have some people in the building that uh, refuse to be adults. Right. And so then there's this whole, you know, moment of like, do we develop policy around this or do we just manage them out? And I'm like, dude, do not develop policy for the bad, develop policy for the good. If it's bad, get them out, manage them out. You know what? This is such an important conversation and topic to, to discuss because I have to tell you, I have seen this again and again. I've worked in multiple places. Um, I have I have um, seen the downstream implications of um, uh, developing a bureaucratic set of frameworks with the intent of um, making things feel consistent or having a level of, of quality around it or ensuring that people um, deliver a messaging that resonates and is on brand, what happens is exactly what, you, what you're referring to, right? You end up at some point, and I've seen it again and again and again, with a culture where people either are so overly structured and rigid that what does go out in terms of messaging is it just so bland and, and um, pointless that it makes no impact at all, or worse, and what I see actually more often is people are like, "This is not worth my time or energy. I can't." They're just as bad as me. They're the, they're they're in the same space as me, not wanting to move out of the house. Like I don't want to have to do this much effort. Yes, they're paralyzed, they're paralyzed. and so it is. They do. It's nothing. too hard. Yeah, so they do nothing, which means you get nothing that goes out there. Do you know how much effort it is after that is institutionalized for so long to try and change that mindset afterwards? And try and go back to the organization and say, it's okay. Don't worry. You're not going to get fired if you tweet. Right? Um, it is very hard to reset that framework because at some point, what started off as this is just too much effort and I can't invest in it turns into a myth of compliance and um, rules that, that are, you know, the, this, this mythological set of rules where we can't talk about anything and we can't share anything or we'll get in trouble or someone's yeah. going to mysteriously come swooping down it's, and fire you because you used the wrong color, um, you know, in your headline, right? That's not going to happen for the most part, right? Be smart, be an adult, don't be stupid, 
right? Um, you know, don't embarrass yourself or your company and you'll be okay. Don't drug tweet. <laughs> exactly. That would be bad. No, that's okay. That's true. That's true. I, right. I mean, those can make a really bad joke. Never mind. Gonna say, if the president can get away with it, I think you'll be okay. Lord, I hope. <laughs> I hope that does not become a mantra for the world. I do not wish for that. <laughs> Thank you. No, that would be horrible. Yeah, that's not. That is not. That is not the model to aspire to. Oh, thank you. That, that that clarifies it. That's the that's the blanket and so, umbrella. I got again, it. Okay. Remember, we said we assume you're adults. If you prove yourself, that's that's right. If you choose, if Absolutely. you prove not to be, we Absolutely. have all right to remove your Twitter access. But that's that is what it is. Exactly, and, and there should we have went. been done. But that's fine. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> and there we are, off on the rails. Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. So. Yeah, this is good. So here's what we said. Okay, guys, pay attention, listen to people, ask some questions and figure out where you're spending money where you don't need to spend money. Think about how you can develop and execute content um, by leveraging the employees in your organization and having structures and guides to help them, but set them free to do it and leverage your teams to help be your distribution um, cycle, right? Right there. Um, very simple things that anybody can turn the dial on um, and do immediately and be able to have some sort of presence out there that could probably be very impactful for them yeah. um, and start driving their recruitment marketing. I'm going to add one more onto it um, and say, even if you do all of that, which is great, one of the biggest things you can do that costs you nothing, um, but your time, energy, and intelligence is pre-plan what your intent is. Yes. I always go to this, right? I love it. But I, have a plan. You, have a plan. Have a plan. Dear Lord, just have a plan. Sit down for a few seconds and say, what's my strategy and what's my plan? What am I, what is it that I want people um, to hear? Why do I want them to hear it? What's going to resonate with them? Um and start there, right? Don't just go willy-nilly into the dark and just say anything is better than nothing. Um, take a few moments. If you don't have a, you know, a computer, if, if you're, if you're, yeah. if that's the level that you're at and you can't even afford the computer, get a piece of scratch paper, <laughs> right? And just write down, who am I trying to get to? Where are they at? What do they need to hear from me to make a decision? Um, and what is it that I can say to them that, that, that is going to resonate and it, it just start there, right? If nothing else, you'll be, you'll have a target audience, a target and then platform. The, the cheapest and easiest nothing. other thing you know, I did at Smashfly on, off to the was races. we rewrote all the job descriptions to be focused on the candidate, right? So instead of creating this laundry list of bullet items of you must have these 94 things, it was more characteristic based and it was more narrative based. And the act of rewriting your job descriptions is also really cheap. It's super cheap. And you can do countless hours of research. Me. Like I really am a big fan of Katrina Kibben. She's the best job description writer out there. Um, I didn't know Katrina at the time uh, when I rewrote these, but you know what? It's about oh, putting the putting the person, putting that candidate at the center of the conversation and telling them what's in it for them. Um, quite frankly, if you waste the first two paragraphs telling them about your company, 
you've lost them. They've lost valuable minutes of time and they've already known enough about you to get to that thing. So tell them what's in it for them. And when we wrote the job description, we wrote the job descriptions for Smashfly. Every job description um, netted a 260% increase in applicants that were more qualified and better diverse, more diversity uh, involved, except tech. And we had to go rewrite theirs again to get there. Developers did not like, they did not like our lovely narrative. Developers wanted to just give us the (laughs) finger. It was great. Tell me. So you're killing me with this one. And let me tell you why. I, I, okay. So in theory, I completely agree with you in practice. Uh um, This has been an ongoing thorn in my side for years now. Every time, every time um, somebody new comes on the scene, um, they want to go in to, and we're talking on a large enterprise, right? They want to go in and do a job description rewrite project, right? Here's what happens. Here's what happens. In reality, in my sort of world, I'm not saying this is everybody's world, but in my sort of world, in a big multinational, large-scale enterprise level, right? One, the job descriptions, right, have to go through so much red tape and bureaucracy to actually be constructed in the first place and so much legal mumbo-jumbo that we end up spending all this time and energy trying to make them these really great job ads when at the end of the day, we're not willing to leverage them that way anyway. And two, um, we, we never come to consensus or agreement about them. So they basically get reconstructed as slightly um, better and more grammatically correct um, lists of requirements that are still not at all appealing, right? It, I, we're never going to- So I heard you say less horrible. Less horrible. Less horrible. Less so horrible. let's be honest, less horrible. Less horrible, but but still not relevant to how people actually are going to look for jobs. So the way we've gotten around this is, is turning around and saying, listen, for the type of company we are, by the time somebody gets to the job description, if we have not already done a really good job to help make them compelled and interested in the type of work that we have to offer, we're screwed. Because by the time they get to that job description, I am a complete advocate to tell you that if the job description sucks, it's going to suck. Right. And, and, and if, and so we've had to put all of our effort on the front because we can't, I don't know how to make this argument in a way that, cause I have to keep making it over and over again in my organization. Yes. If we had the ability to make a job description be what it's supposed to be, which is a really compelling job ad um, and speak in the candidate language and, and have, um, and we were able to get through the bureaucracy to generate and create it that way. I'd be a hundred percent behind what you're saying, but because we can't, and I'm done banging my head against that wall. I am all for finding another alternative to get around the okay, ship. I ha- because I have a suggestion for you. I have a suggestion for you. Because I agree with you and I can't do it. Okay. What? What can I do? And and you are more than okay. welcome to tell okay. me that I'm completely full of shit. Most everybody is. It's fine. But <laughs> whatever. Say. Well, I'm waiting to hear it before I like go after you. Okay. okay what is it? What do you got? Pick one. Now, I know that you guys hire thousands of people. I know you probably have thousands of canned job descriptions in your applicant tracking system, right? What I'm saying to you is you find one hiring manager, just one, 
one hiring manager that has a need for one or two people. And you get that one hiring manager on board. You get one of them on board. And tell me what I'm missing. Yeah, here's what you're missing. Here's what you're missing. The the bureaucracy of how a job gets posted, oh. right? Mm-hmm. Um, right? Eliminates that as an option. Even if I got that one, and here's the challenge. I can get that one hiring manager yeah. to completely in fact, I can get the recruiter to agree. I can get everybody lined up and rebuild and construct a fabulous job description. Our distribution mechanisms, because at an enterprise level, are so massive, right, that the guidelines and the infrastructures are basically driven by compliance and legal yeah. and not driven by um, our marketing teams, okay. right, or our recruitment marketing team. So it all gets pushed out of the ATS. Yeah. It all gets pushed off of um, people will know which system I'm talking about, uh-huh. right? The the core of the ATS, it's written by CMB mm-hmm. and our our ability to go in and alter the way in which that get executed doesn't happen. The only way we can stop that, right, is to circumvent the posting, right, that gets posted through the HCM onto the, you know, into the job distribution and then out to our different distribution sites, yeah. right? Is if we go in and we stop a distribution of a of, of an individual job description and reload a job ad that gets leveraged instead. The problem is our major distribution channels like Indeed or LinkedIn or et cetera, make it very, very difficult for us to go when we're looking and doing this on mass and on scale to do that one job description at a time, right? So the challenge is not that we can't recreate them. It's that the the system is broken at such a way that we can't distribute the good looking stuff and the well-crafted stuff in a way that makes sense. Well, then that just sucks. Doesn't it That's suck? That's just I'm wrong. Sorry. Exactly, and it's so frustrating. Right. Because everybody goes off. This is what happens to me. This is why I got on you about the job. That's okay. Because then what happens to me is all my well-meaning um, peers and and um, friends on our teams go off and they read blogs and they listen to this stuff and they go, the most important thing we can do is fix our job descriptions. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. Good luck to you. I can't do it. So right, good luck to you. So, so then my answer is in my situation, right? How do I get around that so that I create an experience for people where they're getting what they need? And, and it's to keep them from having to go to the job. Right. It's very complicated. But I feel for people because it's it a really challenge, is. Right. I think this actually speaks. I think this actually speaks to how there are distinct complications or challenges related to the size of company and the infrastructure that is designed around how that company needs to execute um, on a day to day basis. The, the, one of the biggest differentiators, I think, between, for example, an enterprise company and a small or medium-sized business isn't the budget, right? Because actually the budgets also often turn out to be not that different at the end of the day. More likely than not, it's the bureaucracy. Yeah. yeah. Right? It's how many people have to be involved in a decision before you can actually do and something. And you can't be sneaky. And bureaucracy costs. No. Uh, well, okay, I can try. I am. It's not that I'm not. If I'm sneaky, I'm not going to tell you about it oh, here. Right. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, of course, we could be sneaky. And we try, right? And you get in and you get these pieces done here and there. But to be able to do it on scale, to create a consistent experience so that, um, Joe, because here's the deal. When, By the way, also think about this, the candidate themselves. When Joe comes looking for a job or says, I'm interested in, in the company that I work for, if I'm interested in working um, for you big multinational company, um, Joe is often coming to us thinking about the company, not the particular job. And so he's oftentimes going to be looking at multiple yeah. job descriptions or in multiple locations at the same time to see what resonates with them. So if you fix one, and you don't fix all of them, you create a very disjointed and odd experience it, as well. It so that does. It really does. And I'm not discounting that. But what I'm advocating for is that if you can find one person and you can get them around compliance and you can get them to get compliance on your team and you show the result of that change, it makes the change easier to happen, right? Which is, again, not the same. It's not the same situation. But when I, when I went about this at Smashlight, there was huge pushback. None of the hiring managers wanted me to do this. And I was like, you guys brought me in here for a reason. You should at least let me try. And if I fail, I'll eat my crow and we'll go back to your way. But if we succeed, I think there is a better way. And they let me test it and it worked. And then it became an absolute no brainer. Like why wouldn't, why didn't we do this all along? You're right. Maybe I've gotten, maybe I've just been beaten down on this one. It's possible. You have honestly, I really think that you're at the bottom of a grave on this one. Like you're just like, there's just nothing but dirt piling on me. I'm just going to move on to the next one. And you might be right, Alin, because if I, from what you're sharing with me, we've got to find another place for the candidate to interact with, with whatever tools they can or whatever experience they can or information that they can to get the real story and get the what's in it for them. Right, right. Figure and it. maybe it's as transparent. Hey, how fun would it be that if you had some ads that were just like, or, or emails or outreach, there's like, okay, so I'm just letting you guys know that there's a whole situation with our job descriptions that we really can't change them and make them cool. And here's really what we'd like to say about it. But when you get there, it's going to be dry as a bone. And, but know that that's not, you know, anything we can do, but it is indicative of the environment. If that works for you, this might be the place for you. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh my God. That'd be so funny. Yeah, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Maybe. Maybe. That I was my evil angle. That, no, no, it's really good. My my approach is just keep them from having to go to it. I think actually, this is a completely separate topic, and I know I'm ranting, and um, we probably need to close up today. But the last piece I'll say, maybe, maybe teeing us up for a future conversation, is I actually think that um, – one of our biggest challenges, one of the reasons job descriptions continue to be on the on the docket for a challenge for yeah. everybody. So by one of the things we have done in the talent acquisition space is we have created a what it was really essentially a very backwards process. So think about it this way. Who knows the most about a company and what you're looking for and what the company needs? The company. Right. Right. But what we do is is we expect the candidate who knows who they are and mm-hmm. what's interesting to them and what's compelling to them and what skills that they have, their job in this weird backwards, back-ass process that we have called talent acquisition is to go and look at our information as a company and interpret it and decide where they can add value. 
right? Right. Or to guess where they could add value to your company that although you may be intriguing to them, they don't know the inner workings of your company. Nope. Or the options, the variations, right? It's so backwards. This idea that we're expecting them to match themselves versus us to say, tell me who you are. I'm glad that you've raised your hand and said you're interested in me. And I, and I'm sure that there's something that made you do that. Something compelling about who we are. Tell me a little bit about yourself. And I know the most about what it is I need. Why wouldn't I then go and look at those, what's available to me and say, this is where you fit for me, right? Why would I ask them to try and fit themselves into an opportunity versus me understand who they are and, and, and slot them into where I need them the most? It's backwards talent management. It's stupid. That's my rant. I'm sorry. I'm I'm doing the thing that I do when I'm thinking really hard. I'm staring at the ceiling, um, <laughs> and it, and I'm and I get it's one of those instances where I get very quiet when I'm thinking very hard. Um, holy shit, you're right. That doesn't work for a podcast. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. Right? We should probably think about doing one on video just for fun. But, um, yeah, that that doesn't make any sense. And and years ago, I created a software company that was trying to reimagine the resume as visual and anonymous. And that Uh was about discovering people for what they're good at, like discover their work product. And if you like what you see and you know what you need as an organization, go tap them and maybe they'll be interested. Now it turns out that people can't imagine their work visually. So that's where we failed. Um, But you're absolutely right. It's, it really is about, understanding what you need. And we have been doing it ass backwards forever because we keep doing this thing where um, we tell people a story of what it means to work here that isn't necessarily true and they get there and then they have to make the decision, okay, am I going to adapt myself and my work style to fit this to keep getting the money? Or am I going to start looking for the next thing and cost the company money by turning me over? So then they have to go do this whole thing again. Or should we be more managing our um, interested talent and our internal talent against the needs of the business. I, I believe right. it should be the latter. Right. right. And which, by the way, in a lot of what we're doing in internal mobility today and companies are talking about in their terms of talent management, et cetera, people are having more and more conversations about, at least internally, how they're thinking differently about how they um, make people ready for opportunities, right? Succession planning, mm-hmm. um, talent management, um, the idea of, of how we tap people on the shoulder um, for projects or for agile teams or for work styles, right? That's all based on this concept that is basically pretty intuitive, which says as a company, um, as a group of leaders, as we see how people work and what they're capable of and what they produce, um, it makes a lot more sense for us to then prepare them for new opportunities, but it also makes a lot more sense for us to be able to help point them in places where they can grow um, and provide value both to us and to themselves. How do we take that same strategy and think about it externally? Yeah. And understand that it's even worse externally, right? Because now you've got two blind people. You've got a blind person trying to figure out what the company does and a blind company trying to figure out who this person is by looking at a piece of paper. Yeah. And piece of paper doesn't Ask work backwards. Too. Yeah, it is. And yeah. just anyway. just to be really transparent, I have something up my sleeve for next year around internal mobility. So we'll be talking more about that. Ooh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, and I don't and I don't mean internal mobility as a another job board. That's not what I mean. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, please, God. So, so, so if you don't think, if you think I don't like job descriptions, I really hate job boards. Yeah. So let's not go there. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like doing the system. Okay. So we have been, um, this has been an interesting conversation. We started by talking about um, why I didn't want to move. Um, but but uh, our, our intent was to talk about recruitment marketing, how to do it on the cheap. I think it's interesting that our conversation ended up going into um, a little bit about thinking about what the intent was from our marketing strategies and how we connected people to opportunities. Mm-hmm. I actually think that's relevant. I think that's actually um, important, maybe as a cornerstone of all the recruitment marketing that's out there talking, having people take a moment and realize why are you doing it in the first place, right? It's about providing the information both to the person and to you as a company so that you can match. Yeah. yeah. And that's not expensive. Oh. And no, it's not. It's, it actually requires exactly what you said in the very beginning, us to talk to each yeah. other. To, to connect with each other at some level that allows us to know enough about each other so that we can um, both understand what resonates with, with for, for each other and also understand um, how we can uh, provide value to each other, how we can engage in the, in the most effective way. Yeah. Coolness. That was oh, fun. Yeah. A little all over the place. Once again, once again, yeah, that's okay. That's people are getting used to it by now, hopefully. I, you know... If they're not, oopsie, oopsie. Um, I, this has been the, one of the, again, the most enjoyable part of my day so far, if not my week, I appreciate these conversations. Me too. Me too. Thank you, Alyn. Thanks everybody for listening. Well, that was a fun week. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it with Tracy. And I hope all of you are keeping warm out there. I know the weather is starting to turn and get colder for all of us. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Of course, you can always reach out to us at um, uh, at our Rebelcast on Twitter or at Ellen Bailey or at T Parsons. Again, it's an interesting conversation this week. I think there's a lot of opportunity for thinking outside the box and things that you can do to actually start activating your recruitment marketing without having a big budget or a big spend available to you. Um, So we hope that you gathered something from this that will help you feel comfortable that you can go ahead and get started. I also think it was interesting that at the end of the day, what seems like a very basic thing, like executing job descriptions and looking at what those look like out there for your market, although a fabulous tactic and technique, it makes a lot of sense, can be really complicated to execute, particularly at an enterprise level. So understanding both what you can get as a value add for your effort when you go out and do your recruitment marketing work, as well as what is feasible and capable within your environment and not letting that hold you back from finding the thing that you can do tomorrow. Um, so I hope all of you found some nugget, something you can do to go out there and start executing your recruitment marketing strategies and go have a great time. Tell us what it is that you're doing. We'd love to hear what your tactics and techniques are. Thank you, everyone.
Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.